In the spring of 1987, which when I wrote that down this week, 1987, it, it was amazing to me to think that that was over 30 years ago. But in the spring of 1987, I was a college junior struggling with the idea of what I was supposed to do with my life, struggling with where I was going. Many freshmen, sophomore, juniors, seniors, grad students, you, you begin to look to your future. Where, where was I headed? I, I knew God had called me to ministry. I knew that, that somehow that I was going to serve in ministry, but I, I didn't feel called to be a missionary. I didn't feel called to be a pastor. I knew I wasn't called to be a music minister. But I, so I wrestled. What is God calling me to? And, and more importantly, what is that going to look like? As I move into the future, how is that going to take shape? I had spent that whole year speaking at, at youth retreats and after-game fellowships on Friday night at places all over East Texas. I'd done Disciple Now weekends. I'd gone into local churches on Wednesday nights and, and spoken to the youth and spoken to college students. And so I began to see that I was gifted in that area, but I just didn't know how that was supposed to play in the local church. And one of my friends in college was a member of a church in Shreveport, Louisiana. And Shreveport's about an hour from where my college was. And his church that he had grown up in was beginning to decide to look for a youth minister, somebody that could work with their students. And they came over and began to interview me at the college about coming and being a part of their church staff. Now, those of you that are old enough to remember, you might remember that in the early to mid-1980s, youth ministry was a rarity in churches. Not many churches had someone designated as a youth minister. Most of the churches, it was a big church, it was a combined position. You had maybe youth in music or youth in education or something. In most churches, youth ministry, when I grew up in the 70s and in the 80s, it was done through youth choir. You had youth choir tours and youth choir mission trips, and so it was handled that way. But in the early 80s to mid-80s, people in churches began to say, we had this growing group of young people, and parents began to say, we need to find a way to minister to these young people. And, and that was where I began to feel somewhat of a call to work with students. Now, the church that was interviewing me that eventually hired me was a multi-staff church. It was a large church. And they never had someone do youth ministry. And so they really didn't know what they were looking for. And to make matters even worse, I didn't know what I was supposed to do as a youth minister. You grow up in church all your life, but you don't pay attention to all the little things and the behind-the-scenes things. And if there was ever a description of on-the-job training, it would be a 21-year-old student that's hired to do a job that he has no idea how to do by a group of people who have no idea what they are expecting. And to make matters worse, I, I was uneducated in church language. And what I mean by church language is, while I did grow up in a Baptist church, I didn't speak the language or the lingo. And I got to this church and I began to hear terms like committee on committees. You, you mean there is a committee that is in, in charge or assigned to take care of all the other committees? And they would say things like church council. You've got to report your ministry to the church council. I didn't know what church council was. I didn't know how they operated. 
They were throwing out terms like yoke fellow. What, is, what in the world is a yoke fellow? And, and women's missionary union. I had no idea what the women's missionary union or the WMU. Now, they were real quick to educate me uh, where I stood according to the women's missionary union when I decided to use one of their bulletin boards to put my announcement on. I learned real quick where the WMU came in the pecking order of Baptist life. But I didn't know. I didn't understand, and and I tell you all that to tell you the context by which I was introduced to a term that I didn't understand then, and I don't know if I understand it today. And it is this term of, of someone who is a part of the church but is an inactive church member. Inactive church member to me seemed to be an oxymoron. An oxymoron is when you take two words that mean totally the opposite things and combine it to make one descriptor, kind of like jumbo shrimp or walking dead or living dead or rap music. Inactive church church member doesn't seem to fit because by its very nature, I didn't mean to offend you rap fans, because to be a church member in its very nature seems to imply active seems to imply that you are involved. So to say that you could be an inactive church member, it didn't make sense to me. And I heard that term because it came up in a question that I asked in one of the earliest staff meetings. We were having a staff meeting and they had told me when I came to this church that this church had 1,700 church members. But I noticed after a couple of weeks, we only had about 700 that were showing up for worship. I also noticed they handed me, when I became youth minister, they handed me as a part-time college student, they handed me these roles of everybody that was considered a member of the youth from 6th grade to 12th grade. And there were over 450 names on this list. But I noticed on Sunday mornings we were only averaging 75 to 85 that were actually in church. So I asked them, if we have 1,700 members of this church, why are there only 800 on a good Sunday here? And if we have 400 students that are a part of this youth ministry, why are there only 85 here? And the answer I received was those other people are inactive church members. They're not active. They're not a part of what we're doing, but they're still church members. Now, if you were here last week, you know that that we examined what it meant to be a church member, what it meant to be a part of the church, and part of that required accountability. We are church members so that we will be accountable to our leaders, and I, as a pastor, am accountable to the people that are in my care. One day I'll give an account to God for every person that was entrusted into my care. And you as a church member, as a Christian, will give an account to God to your willingness to follow the leadership that God puts over the church. And if that's the case, then what do you do with all of these other people? If I'm going to give an account to God for the people that are under my care, then where do these people that are on this roll fall? You see, as I began to examine and try to contact these people, I began to recognize that some of them had been in church in three or five or ten years. And I looked at this student role and I began to go down it and I began to realize that many of these students were put on this sheet when they were children in vacation Bible school. And they hadn't been at church since the time of vacation Bible school. So I asked in staff, what do I do with these non-active members that are 
no longer anywhere around. Matter of fact, I couldn't even find some people's addresses. And they said, well, the people that you can't find address, we don't call them inactive members. They are non-resident members. And being stupid or thinking I knew more than I really did, I asked. I said, well, I thought, according to my education, that non-resident members were people that, like college students, that were still a member and they were just off for a while and they were coming back. And you see, I may not have been church trained, but I was theologically trained. I went to Bible college. And I understood that we get this name members for the local church from that passage I read earlier from 1 Corinthians. In the King James Version, instead of roles or people, it says members. It says we are all members of God's body. We are all a part of God's body. And if we get this idea of members from Paul's metaphor for the body, I didn't see anything in that that described a part of the body that was no longer active. So if we are members because we are part of the body, what do you do? How do you describe somebody that is not active? Well, I thought the best way would be because of a part of my body that's not working or not active or not functioning, it's either sick or diseased, right? So I suggested in staff meeting that we add a new qualification. Instead of inactive, we call them sick or diseased members. (laughs) Nobody laughed. Because I soon learned that in Baptist life, unfortunately, the number of members you had in your church, regardless of their status was a source of pride. It was a way for the leaders when they went to a convention or they went to a meeting and somebody asked, how many you got in your church? We got 1,800. How many people are a part of your body? We've got 500 or we've got 1,000. And it even became a sense of pride from church to church when when members of the church would go out and they'd say, well, how many people do you have coming to your church? Instead of talking about the people that were actually in attendance or the people that were actually active and involved, they would, we have 1,700. I also learned, unfortunately, that the easiest way to get an inactive member to become an active member is not calling them, it's not inviting them, it's not even going and visiting them in the home. The easiest way to get an inactive member to be an active church member is to hold a controversial vote in the church. Like... Maybe we should purge our roles of everybody who is physically healthy and able but has not been here in three years. You hold a vote on that, there are people that hadn't been there 10 years will show up. They'll all come. All of a sudden, they are active if it's something that's controversial. And my question then, and my question still today, is not only how can the idea of an inactive church member be biblical, But how can it be spiritually healthy for the church and for the person? How can it be an act of growth and and an act of principle that we have all of these people listed on our church rolls in any given Baptist church? And it's not just Baptist, but I'm picking on Baptist because we are. But on any given Baptist church, most places will only have half to a quarter of the people that are on their rolls that are in attendance in any given Sunday. I remember the first time I went to the First Baptist Church of Dallas and to hear W.A. Criswell preach. First Baptist Church of Dallas claimed 12,000 members. At that time, they were the largest Baptist church in the world. Billy Graham was a member of the First Baptist Church of Dallas. And I went to their worship service, and, and there were less than 1,000 people there. 
And I thought, how can we get on TV and say, we, we've got 12,000 members? And I realized that the difficulty is not in trying to decide how someone is inactive, but trying to decide what makes an active church member. How do we define an active church member? If, if we, as we discovered last week, being a part of the church is a biblical mandate. We don't join a local church because we want to or because we like it or because we're called. We join a local church because that's what God expects. All of us, when we become a Christian, become a part of the universal body of Christ. But of the 113 times I told you last week that the New Testament uses the word ecclesia or ecclesia, which is called out, what we define, what we describe as the church, 109 of those times, he's not talking about the universal church. He is talking about the local church. He is talking about you being a part, connected, in that 1 Corinthians 12 passage, to a local community of faith. And so if we are all connected, what makes us healthy and active? What makes us apart? Probably the hardest question is, what is active? How do you define active? How would you say this person is an active member? You see, that was a question we had to answer here at First Baptist because... Several years ago, I challenged the deacons to clean up our church roles. As we grew and as God began to move in this church, I began to ask the question we learned last week. Who are we giving an account for? Who, who is the sheep at First Baptist Blowing Rock? And we began to go through our roles and we had to wrestle with the question is what makes someone active? A very famous Pew Research poll that came out in 2016 on Christianity in America, it found that 42% of those who claimed to be Christian said they had not been in a church more than two times in the last year. And even scarier, so that, that's, that's four out of ten that claimed to be a Christian, even scarier is those who said, I am a member of a church, 27% of those people said they had not been in a church more than two times in the past year. So three out of ten church members say, I had not been in a church but twice in a year. Is that active? Is that defined as active? They broke it down even further into uh, ages and ideas, and they asked the respondents to define for themselves, what do you say is active to be a part of a church? And of those things they listed, 52% put the number one thing as being active in a church as giving financially to a church. Any gift. If you give a gift financially to a church, then you are active in a church. 27% defined active in a church as someone who comes at least twice a month. 16% said volunteering at a church, and 5% said attending more than twice a month. Is that active? I remember when I first got here, I went back into our history closet. We got a history closet. has all the minutes from all the business meetings that have ever been held in this church. So you want to talk about some exciting reading. I went back and, because I firmly believe not only what I've been preaching these last couple of weeks, that for me to get a feeling for who we were 
as a church and where God was leading us and how God wanted me to pastor this church, I had to go look at where we came from. I remember reading some minutes, and I couldn't find it this week because I wanted to read it to you, but I remember reading in the 1940s, it was the mid-40s, the First Baptist Church, and in their business meeting, they had someone stand up and make a motion because there was a member, and they had 100 members at the time, 120 members. There were several members at the time that hadn't been at church in the last two weeks. And they called their names out in the business meeting, and they were asking, what should they do to go and confront them because they'd missed two weeks in a row. And they were, they were talking about options. Who, were they going to send a group? Were they going to send a couple of people to go and confront them for missing church for two weeks? I thought, listen, if we had to go by that standard, we'd spend all our time visiting you guys. No, we're not under the law. I, I tell you that all the time. Church attendance is not mandatory in the church. And when you talk about being active, that's one of the first things we think of, right? Giving and coming to church because those things are things we can measure those things are things we can look at and we say okay here's our role and and while we don't check role in here we can get an idea here's who's been here and here's who's missing and we look at and say who's giving and who's not giving and we say those two things make you active but the only problem with that is I know a lot of people in the church members in the church who are there every week and who give on a regular basis that I don't know would fall under the biblical definition of being active People who write a check every week and praise the Lord and who are here every week. But I don't know if they would fall under what Paul says a biblically healthy and active church member is. As I said, we're not under the law for coming to church. I tell you, we don't take role. I'm not going to notice if you're here or not here for two weeks at a time. But I firmly believe that for you to be faithful and obedient to God's call in your life, for you to grow spiritually that you need to be a part of the church, that you need to be here, that you need to faithfully come and teach that to your children. We don't come just because it's what we do on Sunday morning. We come because of the benefits of what we receive from the church and because it's what God calls us to do. Now I want to suggest to you in defining what it means to be active that Paul gives us some insight. The passage that I've listed in your order that's listed in my sermon from The book of Colossians, Paul builds on this idea that he introduced at Corinth of being a member, being a part of the body. And he kind of explains or describes what that looks like lived out. And it's almost, you can find almost exactly the same wording in Ephesians and Galatians and Philippians. Because to each church that he wrote a letter to, he kind of explained this is what a healthy, active church looks like. This is what active memberships look like. And so I'm going to read through this and help us, I think, in reading this to see how we would define an active church member. So listen to what Paul says. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. Here, he's talking about the church. There is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is in all, and all is in Christ. There's no division in the body. We're all one. Because of that, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other, talking about in the church, and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive others as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And in the body of Christ, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts 
Since as members of one body, you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. And whatever you do, everything you do, whether in word or deed, do it all to the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. They said a lot of things there. But I think if you begin to break it down, he begins to explain what some of the benefits are to being a part of a local church. But not just the benefits, also the responsibilities. And they're mixed together. And so what I want to do for just a few minutes is I want to call out a couple of things that I think are the benefits to being a church member. Why, why go to church? Why join a church? I told you last week, God told us to, and it's a biblical mandate, but I think we need to dig deeper. What is in it for me? Why should I as a Christian tie into a local body of Christ? But not only what are the benefits, but what are the expectations? What does God and the church expect from me when I become a church member? And in doing that, I think it helps us define what active is. Now, it'd be real easy for me to give you a list of things and say it's a checkout, but it's not. Because these things are not very specific. They're general for a reason, because I'm not going to define active for you. I'm going to let you define active for you. I want you, as we read through this list, to pray, God, does this describe me? Is this who I am? Because, see, I can't define active for you. I can define active for me, but I think the Holy Spirit can if you'll listen. So what are some things that are benefits to the body of Christ? First of all, and I say this a lot here, it's community. And we talk about community a whole lot in this church because I believe being a bound body of Christ, community of believers, is foundational for a healthy church. Without community, without this binding together in unity, you can't have a healthy church. The Bible says in Genesis, when he's talking about Adam, he said it's not good for man to be alone. He wasn't just talking about, I'm going to bring a a companion to him. He was explaining to us that you and I were created to be in community. We are not created to be alone. Do you understand? There is no example, there is no encouragement, there is no person in the New Testament that is ever exemplified or encouraged when they are alone and apart from the body of Christ. Every Christian in the New Testament that it talks about growing and ministering and serving and reaching, it's talking about in the context of community. It's what so many in the community are looking for today. People want a place to belong. A place that's not based on race. It's not based on denomination. It's not based on on where you grew up or, or where you've come from or your educational background or your job description. A place where all that brings us together is who we are in Christ. One of the benefits of you being a part of the local church is finding a place to fit, finding a family. You need the body, and the body needs you. You understand that when you are not a part of the body, and God's called you to be a part of the body, the body is not doing what it's called to do. Kind of like taking out a part of your physical body and expecting the body to fully function. It can't. That's why when you're not here, the gifts that you bring... The, the ministry that you offer to the family, it's missing. And my greatest worry is that on some of the days that we're not here, or some of the days that we've gone elsewhere, somebody will come that day needing that need, and no one else would be willing to give what you're gifted to give. You're connected 
Paul tells the Ephesians church, as Lindsay read, that it is a foundation and we are bricks being built upon that foundation. And as bricks, he says, when you become a part of the local body, you are no longer foreign. You are now family. I'm no longer identified by all of those things the world identified me as. I'm no longer a, a Texan. I'm no longer a male. I'm no longer, a, you know, educated in this and, and in this income bracket and this color. All that matters when I'm here is that the blood of Jesus Christ runs through my veins. And that the foot of the cross is equal. And so that when we gather together in worship and we go to Bible study and when we fellowship, that the person on your left and the person on your right is your brother and your sister. And we are connected in community. You're no longer foundationless, but now you're firm. When you join the body, you're not just drifting. You make connections. You're not fragmented. You're not out there floating around. You're fitting. Joining the body of Christ, your benefit is recognizing that you're not alone. That there are other people that love you and care for you and pray for you and lift you up. You don't have to go through the things that you've gone through alone. You and I were created to be in community in the same way that your toe was created to be a part of your foot or your finger a part of your hand. Paul said that the finger can't be cut off and continue to be healthy. Modern science today, you can cut your finger off and put it in a jar and they make and keep it functioning, but it loses its purpose. Finger wasn't made to live in a jar. It was made to be a part of the hand, to be able to grip and to be able to work and be able to serve. And a church member that is not connected to the community is like a finger in a jar on a shelf. May look healthy, may look like it has a purpose, may look like it's doing something, but it's missing out. Community is the benefit. The second thing he mentions here over and over again is spiritual growth. It's almost impossible to grow to spiritual maturity apart from the body of Christ because everything that happens in the body is there to help you grow. Good things, bad things. That's why when people get mad and they leave churches because things don't go their way or they get their feelings hurt or somebody hurts them, listen, that's not an avenue for you to say, I'm leaving. That's an avenue for you to say, what is God trying to teach me? Because we're a family and we're not always all going to get along and there are going to be difficulties. And it's in those difficulties that we grow deeper. You don't get that outside the body. You don't get that outside of the community. See, we recognize, do you you understand that church, the local church is a gift from God? Just think with me for a minute. Could you imagine how hard it would be to live out the principles that are in this book by yourself? Could you imagine how difficult it would be? To know that you're all alone, that you get saved and God changes you and creates you into a new person, but you've got nobody else to talk to, nobody else to ask questions, nobody else to follow their example, nobody else to help as you grow. It's a gift. It's a gift to help you grow spiritually. It's a gift to help you connect with other believers. The third thing is a gift to protect you, to protect you from false teachers, to protect you from heresy. See, when you're on your own as a believer and you're hungry for the Word of God, that's why Paul says, be very careful when you're spiritually immature. Because when you're spiritually immature, you're hungry. You want to learn. And it's very dangerous because as you want to learn, there is a lot of junk out there. And it's not until you can connect to a body of believers that stand on the Word of God and the authority of the Word of God that you are protected from falling into some of those traps. Listen, I know even in my own life as a believer, there have been times that I've been tempted to wander in my theology. That I began to study and I began to read and and I began to move. And it wasn't until I began to go back in the context of the body of Christ that I began to see consistency. 
Because while we use the Word of God as our standard, as our foundation, it's also church history that helps guide us in our interpretation of the Word of God. If you are not connected to a body of Christ, it is very easy to get sucked in to every false teaching and every false doctrine. You become one-dimensional, focused on only one thing, community, spiritual growth, protection. And the last one I'm going to mention is service. The Bible says God gives each one of you a gift. It's not a gift to use at your house. It's not a gift for you to use with a nonprofit. It's not a gift for you to use out and around. Those things can benefit, but the Bible says God ordained the church to be the avenue of using those gifts to build up the body and to extend the kingdom. You get a place in the body of Christ to be able to use what God's given you for His glory. Now, you can do that out there. But when we all come together, we are so much stronger than we ever were alone, especially in our service. I've shared this illustration before. The average Baptist church in America has less than 100 people in it. The average church. Matter of fact, 75 to 80 percent of Baptist churches in America have less than 100 people meeting today. How in the world does that small group of congregations fund more missionaries around the world than any other organization. We have 4,000 missionaries around the world today being funded by those Baptist churches. Because when we all come together and we pull our resources and we pull our knowledge and we pull our call, we can do so much more than we could do on our own. And it's the same for the local body. When you come and use your gifts, you have an outflow to find your purpose, to be fulfilled, to let the body be built up. So what are the benefits? Why join a church? Because you become a part of the community. Because you can grow spiritually. You can get mature, grow deeper. You can be protected. That's part of my job as the pastor, as the shepherd, is to keep the wolves away. But you can also serve. You can also have an outflow for all of those gifts and visions and dreams and callings that you have. This is the place. Now I could talk about the benefits of being a church member all day long. But Paul also implies that there is an expectation. What's expected of a church member? People ask that to me more than I ever imagined when they want to come and join the church. What's expected of me? And I think they want me to give them a sheet of paper that says, here's the expectation. Here's here's the things, the checkoff list. But there's not one in the Bible. It comes out of these teachings. So what is expected? What Does the Bible say is expected of an active church member? The first thing is that you worship regularly. I'm not going to put a number on that or a name on that, but let me just say this. The only way you can connect and get plugged into what God is doing through this body is by being here. It's in this place when we gather together that we get a sense for what the Holy Spirit is calling us to do. It's where we decide our one call, our one vision, our one goal. And if you're not here, you miss that. That's why I could never understand why people that hadn't been in church in four or five years can come to a church and vote on God's will for that church. How would they know? How would they know if they hadn't been there, if they hadn't sensed it, if they hadn't seen what God is doing? So I believe, please hear me, like I said, we're not under the law. But I believe that one of the expectations for anybody that is a part of the body is to worship. To be a part of what God's doing. To be plugged into the body. To celebrate with the body. To mourn with the body. To be a part of worship. The second thing is I think every person that's a member of a church is called to help preserve the gospel. You. 
Your responsibility is to make sure that this church is always teaching the whole counsel of the Word of God. If you hear a pastor or a teacher that is not, it's your responsibility to call them to account. I'm accountable to you. That's why I tell you, don't take my word. Don't, don't ever come in here and just listen to what I say or anybody say from a pulpit without having the Word of God and being like the Bereans and going and finding if it's true in the Word of God. Because the integrity of the truth of the Word of God falls on the members. It's your responsibility to make sure that we are teaching God's Word to all age groups. The whole council, That you and I are learning. That you and I are growing. That you and I are moving in a process. I believe it's not a hard expectation that those who are active church members should be growing. Because in the Christian walk, if you're not growing, you're not just sitting still. You're dying. God moves and, and He begins to guide us and He begins to take us. If we're not all growing, then, then we're, we're stopped. And it's our responsibility to reach back on those who are behind us in the journey and help get them to where we are and to find those that came before us and help them as they pull us towards them. We're to be growing into maturity. There's an expectation that we're called to share the gospel, to preserve the gospel, to encourage each other, admonish each other, Paul said, teach each other, worship, grow. And the third thing, there's a responsibility and an expectation of church members to affirm other Christians. Now, I said affirm because I couldn't think of a better word, but basically, I think you're called to be connected. There are over 50 verses in the New Testament that say, one another or each other. He uses six or seven in the passage I read. Admonish one another, love one another, honor one another, put one another above yourself, hold one another accountable, love one another, forgive one another, forgive each other, over and over. You see, there is an expectation of a someone who is a part of the church to be connected. To be connected more than just a drive-by on Sunday. To be connected with the rest of To get to know other people that are part of the body. Now, you can't know everybody. That's unrealistic. And when I use the term family, people think that that implies that we all know each other. We don't. And I don't care what size church. And the church I came from when I moved here 11 years ago, we had over 5,000 people in church on Sunday. And people say, I'm scared to come to a church that size because you lose that sense of family. Listen, in that church, we had more sense of family than in some churches I served in that had 400 and 500 people. Because even in a church of 100, you don't know everybody, but you can know some. You can build relationships, and you can get connected. And while you're getting connected over here, and this group's getting connected over here, they connect to one another. You can't admonish one another. You can't love one another. You can't forgive one another if you don't know one another. You see, I think it's not unrealistic to expect church people to be connected. But it's not until we get past just Sunday morning at 10 o'clock and we begin to connect in other ways that we begin to experience the benefits of being a church member. You begin to get in the trenches. Begin to care, lift each other up, affirm each other. It's what we studied when we looked at Romans 12. Paul said over and over again, honor each other. You see, the goal of church, and and listen, the reason that it's so important that you're here is not because you're physically here. The reason it's important that you're here is because you have something that somebody else needs. And our goal in attending church should be every Sunday, who can I bless today? You come to church with the idea, God, show me somebody in the body that I'm supposed to bless, that I'm supposed to encourage, that I'm supposed to to help this morning. 
Now I know we've got this mindset that we come to church to receive. That's not biblical. And the only time the Bible talks about receiving, do you know what it says? The best way to receive is in giving. If you come with a great need to church on Sunday, the way that God's going to allow you to receive is through your giving of yourself, even when you don't feel like it, even when you're in a bad mood, even when you don't have the time. When you sacrifice to give of yourself to another part of the body, not only do you become connected, but that becomes the avenue by which God blesses you. So what is the expectation? Worship. Spiritually grow. Get connected. And then the last one, even easier, serve. Use your time, talent, and treasure to extend the kingdom of God through the local body. Use the things that God has gifted you to reach people outside and inside. Now you'll notice on both of those lists, it's very general. I didn't give you specifics. I didn't give you an amount of time, an amount or percentage of how much you should give. How many activities that you should be connected to? Because what I've understood and what I've learned is it's different for every person. And for me to give you a list and say, this is what it means for there to be an active church member, that robs you of your willingness to hear from the Holy Spirit on what He says active means to you. What active means to me in this season in my life may not be active for you in that season of your life. Now, as a pastor... It's easier for us to give lists. Now, let's be honest with you. That first church, when we were wrestling with, with, with what makes an active member and what makes an inactive member and how do we work these roles out to see who we are accountable to, it, it is much easier to say, here's our expectation. You give 10%. You come to church three times a month. You're involved in a small group. You yada, 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 yada. And we come down with a list. But that's not always true for every person. And by doing that, not only do we rob the Holy Spirit of allowing that person to be obedient, because you start doing it because it's expected of you. You're guilted into doing it instead of because you want to. We also rob the church of those people's willingness to serve because we limit people by the expectation we put on them. One of the churches I served in, they decided it'd be good to put together a list of the expectations of people that wanted to be a deacon, that wanted to be a Sunday school teacher, wanted to be a leader, wanted to serve in different areas. And so they put together a list. And it included attendance this much, involved in this many small groups or Sunday school classes. You gave this percentage of your income. And as I ministered to people in the church, I began to recognize that that list was discriminating. That list was limiting. Because what about the single mom? that was struggling to make ends meet, and she couldn't give a percentage. But that widow's mite that she gave was a a sacrifice. But it didn't come up to the, the list that we had said. Who were we to say that someone can't serve because of their circumstances, their situation? What about the older people whose physical limitations kept them from making that attendance checklist? It robbed the church. And so as I moved into a pastor role, I began to to wrestle with this idea. How do we determine? How do we determine what active is? Well, after 30 years of growing from that first experience, I learned it's much easier to define what inactive is instead of active. And I've learned to trust the Holy Spirit to tell you what active looks like for you. Because it doesn't look the same for me, and it doesn't look the same for the person next to you. 
Now, that, that's a scary thing for a pastor. I'll just be honest. It'd be easier for me to get up here and say, the Bible says that you're supposed to give 10% of your income. I don't believe that. I believe in grace giving. And I'm not going to teach on giving. But I believe you give according to what God's put on your heart to give, not under the law. And I think when we limit God to 10%, we limit those who should give 20, and we make those and heap guilt on those who can only give five unnecessarily. And what happens is we end up obeying because it's a legalistic standard instead of a calling by the Holy Spirit. And we do the same thing. If, if I was to tell you this is what it means to be active at First Baptist Church of Bowling Rock, I would limit some of you and I would discriminate against some of you, not knowing your situation, and I would rob the Holy Spirit of speaking to your heart. And you would become active because the pastor put out a list instead of the Holy Spirit convicting you. I know what the Holy Spirit convicts me active is for Rusty. Now, I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit will show you what active looks like for you. I'm going to allow you to look at these things and let the Holy Spirit reveal to you the truth. One of the commitments I made to you as a pastor 11 years ago is that I would not lead out of fear and guilt. I would not manipulate, but I'd trust the Holy Spirit in every area. So what does it mean to be active at First Baptist Blue Rock? You tell me. Let's pray.